welcome to the House of Hoosier podcast. I'm your host, AJ Guyton. I'm here with a very special guest. Got my man, Zachary Osterman. Osterman, did I say that correct? Actually, it, people always ask this. It's we pronounce it Osterman, but the German pronunciation is Osterman. So I don't oh. know where we I don't know where we started screwing it up somewhere along the way. But my people settled of all places in Seymour, Indiana. So right. you know, <laughs> I, I grew up in Georgia. I blame you people. Hey, without that man, you wouldn't be here enjoying all this this lovely basketball history. IU basketball history, man. We appreciate having you, man. I want for my for my own uh, knowledge, man. Where exactly? You just kind of told me where you're from, and how'd you get into you know which was also become what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Atlanta. Um, my dad was a reporter and a, a magazine editor, so there was always a little bit of interest in in you know this business for me. Actually, the other thing genuinely I, I considered growing up was trying to become an astronaut, and then I took calculus and realized that that was not going to work. Um, that they were not going to send somebody into space who couldn't do even the most basic advanced <laughs> mathematics. So uh, I got into this instead, um, you know, natural sort of left turn. But no, I, right. I wanted to go to a big state school. Um, I didn't want to, for a variety of reasons, go to the University of Georgia. So I, I came to Indiana, um, met a girl, got a job and, you know, just wound up settling down. Bloomington's not a bad place to spend some time. It's freezing cold out there right now. But right. You know, we, we don't we don't have this kind of weather back home in Georgia, but we also don't have uh you know, 99 degrees with 98% humidity for a month and a half here in Indiana. So, <laughs> right. Hey, that's a got to take the good with the bad, man. And you've been pretty much covering the team since about 2010. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. For somebody, I mean, even going back to, I guess, probably about 2007, 2008 with the student paper. So, mm -hmm. not always full time, but, uh, okay. I, you know, for somebody or another, I've been around since kind of basically the end of Kelvin Sampson, I guess. Okay. So nice perspective, well, really good perspective for me because, you know, I wasn't really watching the team back then. What was the, the atmosphere around the team back then? Oh, man. Well, obviously, you know, I, I honestly, one of the more surreal moments I think I've ever had in kind of observing IU basketball was the last two games of, of Kelvin's tenure. Mm. Um Indiana hosted Michigan State. Game day was in town. And DJ White had some sort of injury about five minutes into the game. Mm -hmm. And and, he, and he, he left the game. He never came back. And Eric Gordon just took over. Like, I think Drew Neitzel still sees Eric Gordon in his nightmares. <laughs> and Indiana won by 19. And this was, this was in the week between when the NCAA announcement of all the allegations was confirmed and announced. Mm -hmm. And when Indiana obviously let Kelvin Sampson go and then Indiana beat what was actually a, a pretty good Purdue team that year. That was the, the first year of kind of the Robbie Hummel, um, each one more Juwan Johnson team. You know, that team wound up going, winning, winning 25 games, uh, going to the round of 32 and the Indiana beat them at home. I want to say by about nine or 10 points. And if I recall correctly, fans were like, cheering Calvin Sampson off the floor. Really? Um, and at that point, Indiana was, and I'm looking at the record now, 22 and four, oh. 11 and two in the conference and, and really seemed to be kind of hitting its straps in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, it seemed to be really big. At that point, they'd won five of six, and their only loss was that Brian Butch bank shot against Wisconsin at home. Mm -hmm. And that was a decent Wisconsin team, actually a very good Wisconsin team. 
And it looked like Indiana was really hitting its stride. And then, of course, everything kind of, you know, falls apart around Kelvin's dismissal. And mm -hmm. Tom Crean comes in and Tom obviously kind of had to start with the, you know, the bottom up rebuild. And um, right. it's, it's been an interesting ride since, that's for sure. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what, so for, for the fans who don't really understand, what were the sanctions and what were the accusations that eventually rang true that Kelvin Sampson was up against? So a lot of it had to do with things, and, and I'd have to refresh my memory for the uh -huh, exact okay. issues, but a, a lot of it had to do with recruiting contact, text messages, uh -huh. phone calls. Truthfully, a lot of things that that were legislated then by the NCAA that aren't now, uh -huh. um, I think, in, in not to be flippant about it, but I think in no small part because the NCAA basically realized that, that teenagers are better at using their phones and screening phone calls and text messages from coaches that they don't want to hear from than the NCAA will ever be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it, obviously a lot of that followed him from Oklahoma to Indiana. Mm -hmm. And there were some sanctions put in place from his time at Oklahoma. Indiana sort of presented this case that they were, you know, they had a, a, an, a an oversight system that was going to ensure that, you know, he followed all the rules and different things mm -hmm. like that. And if my memory serves, really a, a lot of it, there were some issues with three-way calls with assistants basically calling okay. recruits and then sort of patching them through to Kelvin Sampson. Gotcha. Um, but there were basically it was more the idea that that the rules had been broken once, right? Mm hasn't -hmm. been put in place, and then some of the rules were broken again, mm -hmm. and so. You know, I, I hear IU fans say, well, you know, we got punished for something that isn't even a rule anymore. And I say that's true to a point, but there was also punishment for basically just continual breaking of the rules. Oh, you know, okay. and gotcha. if, if you just keep whatever the rules are, if you just keep breaking them at <laughs> right. some point, there's there's my two year old. He's, there she goes. <laughs> I'm not sure what's, what's going on up there, but um you know, if, if you keep breaking the rules, at some point you're going to get punished for your flagrant breaking of the rules right, more no so doubt. than what the actual rules are. No doubt. I know I know. when uh, Coach Crean came in, it was a lot more than that to clean up when he came in. But he came in, he, he did his job, he did what he was supposed to do, got the program in the right direction, got us a bunch of pros, got us some Big Ten titles, and then the bottom kind of just fell out a little bit. When, and you were you were around at that time, and, and you 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 have a perspective that not many of my guests ever have. That you were actually covering a team you were around, you know some you know some some insight that you don't have to share here, but you have a better idea of why that didn't work. Why why didn't the situation with Tom Crean work after Big Ten titles, multiple uh, players of the year, not more players of the year, but multiple uh, draft picks, uh, one and dones. He seemed to have the player development side clicking. Why didn't it work with Coach Crean? I think the the biggest issue that that Tom ran into was just consistency, mm -hmm. and and you know it it. I think in his last five seasons, um, and I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, but you know he won 56 games over two seasons, then he won 37 games over two seasons, then I think Indiana won 27 games, and then they won 18. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in big 10 play, um, it was, it was, you know, the kind of the boomer bust cycle was, was pretty consistent. You know, he won 45 games in, or excuse me, 40 games in, in three of those final, what, five seasons mm -hmm. um, or six seasons, I guess it is technically. 
And then in the other three, he won 23 games. Okay. And the, you know, the roster could sometimes reflect that, you know, there were after the, after the 2013 big 10 title, Indiana actually returned fewer scholarship players the next season right. than, than it, it, uh, than it signed or brought in. And that was a function with that team specifically of losing just kind of a, you know, three seniors, two draft entrants, a couple transfers, just kind of the timing of things. But then it kind of happens again. You know, roster flux could be a, yeah. a real issue. And I think there was just a feeling and listen, you know, time may prove Indiana wrong on that decision. We'll see. Right. Um, but I think there was just a feeling that at some point that, that, that cycle felt sort of boom and bust and, mm-hmm. You know, was there going to was there going to hit a point of diminishing returns, essentially? Um, And again, I mean, you know, Indiana may be proven wrong on that long term. We'll find out. But Hmm. I I do think that at that time, going back to 2017, it it did feel like, you know, there was sort of a strong feeling from people around the program that and when I say that, I'm talking about more within the department. I'm talking about like players. Right. Yeah. I'm talking about people within the department on the administrative side that, that maybe it was just time for a bit of a reset. Right. And from your perspective, and just as your personal opinion, do you do, and looking at where we are now, do you think that was the right decision? You know, that's a, I mean, that's a good question. And I don't know that there's, there's mm-hmm. one, one answer hard and firm. I, I don't know that there's one empirical answer to it, mm-hmm. you know, right. I mean, yeah. Cause I, I do think back to 2017 and I think about where the fan base was and, and there, you know, I mean, it was a very sort of emotionally fraught time, I think for IU fans and the way that that season in particular had gone. And obviously there'd been some injury issues. Um, you know, Indiana finished that season very poorly. I mean, it, it, and I'm, again, I'm trying to, kind of remember um because i mean lord knows yeah. anything basically pre pre my son being born feels like it right. was like a million a million years ago but right. um yeah indiana lost six of eight in in conference play to finish that season and uh-huh. and you really did have i mean it it you listen this is you know that there have been times when this was much more the case for indiana but it really did feel like you had these these incredibly sort of polarized factions within the fan base. And I don't know how healthy that felt, uh, you know, at the time. Um, and I think it 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 made sense, at least from a neutral perspective at that point, the case that Indiana made for basically feeling like it just kind of wanted to, to wipe things clean and, and start fresh, I think made sense. Um, obviously though, I, I think, you know, Indiana since has just not quite been at the, you know, at the, at the rate of return that it would expect. And I think there are a variety of reasons for that too, but I also think that it, you know, it, it, you know, that can both have been, you know, I think that there's also a reasonable sort of world where you can say that was maybe the right decision at the time. Right. And still what Indiana has done since is, is obviously not up to scratch either, if that right. makes sense. Before we get into Archer Miller and the current Hoosiers, let's get a quick message from our sponsor. Let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now the time. Bet River Sportsbook is offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit, but what sets them apart is that they require just one play through to turn your bonus into cash money. When you win at Bet River Sportsbook, they pay fast. And now, it's even faster with rush pay instant approval for withdrawals. It's safe, it's secure, it's reliable. With March Madness around the corner, 
There's never been a better time to give Bet Rivers Sportsbooks a try. Go to betrivers.com today or download the Bet Rivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older, gambling a problem, call 1 800 Gambler. And that's a, that's a good point, man. And it's about consistency. And uh, I think people, people look back at the Bob Knight era and, and really didn't under, really don't understand that his consistency was, was based on really, you know, getting old and staying old as a, as a, as a, as a team, uh, as a, and what happens now is you start, you know, we dealt, we start digging into the one and done uh, pool and, it's, and not being the Kentuckys, not getting the number one, two or three player, uh, not being the North Carolinas and the Dukes, it's hard to recover when a Thomas Bryant leaves or when a uh, Noah Vonley leaves, and you expect them to be a big part of it, you know, of the of the of the team and of the uh, school for a long time, and they and they get up and leave. But I think people get frustrated because they're thinking like the '90s, they're thinking like the '80s, and it's just not. Uh, what it is. And my question to you is, is it, you know, I'm looking at, you know, as we crawl into this year's team and in the last few years with the Archie Miller era, you know, is, is it the, re, you know, it's, it seems as if they're getting the recruits. It seems like it's like they're getting in-state guys to get Mr. Basketballs, but is the talent in Indiana not once what it was? And that doesn't mean as much as it used to. Is that the reason? Is one of the reasons why, or what could be the reasons why we're getting the talent, it seems as if, but we're still wallowing in the middle? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that certainly I think the recruiting base is is still strong. You know, I don't think you would see the Big Ten as strong as it was. And, and I would even go so far as to you know, to say that Indiana's recruiting base isn't just in state, it's, it's the region, it's Illinois. I, you know, I don't have to tell you it's, it's Illinois. Yeah, right. You look at, I mean, Indiana's had some great players down the years from, from Ohio. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't think the big 10 would be as strong as it is if, um, you know, if, if for some reason the state, the recruiting base within the state or even within the region had, had sort of, you know, shrunk. And obviously, Yes, I think recruiting is, is less regional than it used to be because mm-hmm. it's a lot easier for a kid to, you know, grow up in Chicago. But, OK, it's only a two and a half hour plane ride to L.A. I can suddenly envision myself playing at UCLA, whereas maybe, yeah. you know, maybe in 1975, that's that's not as much the case. Um, but I think that the talent is still there. And I think that the the formula makes a certain amount of sense, which is and we've seen Kansas do this. You know, we've seen Villanova do this is four-year players, three and four-year players that are basically supplemented by, you know, elite, maybe one and done, two and done type guys. You even, I mean, go back and look, for example, at, at some of Bill Self's good teams recently. Devontae Graham was, I think, maybe, uh, you know, outside the top 80 recruiting rankings. Frank mm-hmm. Mason wasn't a top 100 player. Um, you know, we could say the same with with Villanova, where they've been, they've had guys that were that were top 100, top 125, but weren't necessarily elite. But then they're, you know, then then it's kind of headlined by a guy who's a five star who's only going to stay in college for a couple of years. And it's just finding that right blend. I think mm-hmm. early for Archie Miller, and this was again just timing. This wasn't really anyone's fault um, necessarily. But you know that first team he inherited um, he had five seniors. Immediately lost three players to the draft. Mm-hmm. and had two players transfer over the course of his first 12 months. So, you know, within his first year on the job, 10 scholarship players are off the, the roster that he inherited the day he started at Indiana. And again, that wasn't really in his fault. That was just a factor of timing. Plus, mm-hmm. 
you know, there's always going to be a little bit of roster flux when, when a new coach comes in. And I know at least one of those players, to be fair, said that he didn't necessarily want to leave, but felt like he was kind of, you know, pressured or at least not really wanted Grant Galon. But still, nevertheless, you know, it's still nine, ten guys. I think what's what's been harder to pin down in the last couple of years has been, you know, kind of the progress and the development of some players. And of course, in, in individual situations, you can look at a Rob Fennessy and say, he's had, a, he's lost so much time to injury in his first couple of seasons. You can look wow. at race Thompson, who I, I do think to be fair to him is, is really starting to kind of blossom now, mm-hmm. but again, you know, lost basically his entire redshirt freshman season to injury. Um, you know, but, and I guess you can also look at a, a trace Jackson Davis getting better and Armand Franklin getting better. Um, but there is still just a feeling that, that, you know, that the individual sort of growth for whatever reason, isn't building this sort of collective whole right, that, is, yeah. that is more consistent, that is raising the floor to that point where to, you know, kind of to your point about um, Bob Knight's tenure, and, and this is true for, for all the great coaches. It's, right. it's about sort of saying that the baseline is here and, and we won't, wildly outperform the baseline every year we you know we're not going to the final four every season Uh but if the baseline starts at let's say 20 wins you know top six in our conference ncaa tournament 19 seasons out of 20 right Uh then if the floor is already that high it's going to be a lot easier to build teams that can make deep runs in the ncaa tournament more consistently Uh that can compete at the top end of the conference more consistently and so on and so forth and i think that's that's where it's felt like Indiana again, it's in, and I think you see this even in, in performances where it feels like, you know, you can kind of compartmentalize these individual positives, but it does, you just don't know if you feel like the, you know, kind of the little things are adding up to the big things, the way that it, it seems like they should be. And mm-hmm. I know that's kind of a vague statement, but it, it, yeah. it you know, I, I, I think I've struggled to get my own, you know, kind of arms around how to describe, what it feels like. And that's, that is a part of it for me that it just, it feels like a lot more of this should be adding up to more consistent performances than it has so far. Right. That's a, that's great answers, man. Once again, it's House of Hoosier podcast. I'm with my man, Zach Osterman, and we're talking IU basketball right now. And IU sit that 11 and eight, man, six and six, two wins in a row, uh, win against Iowa, win against Northwestern last night. My theory, man, I always said this in, from the beginning, and, you know, my guy Austin, he can tell you, I always felt like I don't worry about the Northwesterns. I don't worry about the Iowas. I don't worry about the Wisconsin's. And I say that to say I feel like that's IU style of basketball. They'll always be able to compete against those teams. They can slow. For some reason, they're able to slow down Iowa. You know, Iowa average 80 points, 85. They'll hold them to 60 and it's, it's, it's all about matchups and it's all about, you know, the guard, the guard, the particular guard play from those teams. And it's not taking anything away from Indiana. I believe if they played against Virginia's pack line defense, it'll be a hell of a game. And IU would have a chance to win that game because of the style of play and the type of uh, players that we have. And in this win streak, are you seeing anything different from the team? I saw the freshmen get a lot of minutes uh, the, the, against Iowa, but I, I caught the end of the game last night, so I don't want to comment. Did the freshmen play a lot more? I thought we were headed that way and trending that way. And and what difference do you see in this two-game win streak uh, that may or may not, you know, help us going in the long run get to the NCAA tournament? You know, I think I think there's a, a couple 
kind of pieces to that. One, I, I do think you're right. I think Indiana is a good matchup for Iowa. You know, I think right. if, you, if you look at if you look at Iowa versus Rutgers, which of course is the team Indiana lost to right after they beat Iowa the first time. You know, Rutgers is a dribble drive team. Rutgers is a team that's got three, four guys on the floor that are able to, whether it's ISO or, you know, a ball screen situation, put the ball on the floor and just drive their man. And I think right. Indiana at times this season, especially as Armand Franklin's probably been hobbled by that ankle injury, mm-hmm. has struggled against teams that can dribble penetrate. Iowa's not one of those teams. Iowa's right. much more about moving bodies to create openings, but because Indiana can play a little smaller because Indiana's got, I think a good level of athleticism and Indiana can switch just about everything. Everything. Yep. And Indiana can throw a lot of different looks at Luca Garza defensively. Mm-hmm. I think Indiana's just a better matchup for Iowa. And I think you've seen that. I mean, Iowa's right. two worst offensive performances this season have come against Indiana. So it's not just that Indiana's won those games. It's that Indiana has made Iowa, as you said, they're very kind of un Iowa. Right. Um, and I think it's just, I think part of that's matchups, but I think there's also, you know, listen, I, I, a double overtime win at Northwestern in a game that I think, you know, Indiana's win probabilities, you know, kind of cratered at different times. Mm-hmm. I still think there were some positives, um, yeah. you know, to your point about freshmen and, and I, I did our, our in-house podcast earlier this morning, I said, you know, maybe a month or two ago, it felt like Indiana was really kind of trying to target, it's it's use of its freshmen yeah yeah, and yeah and sort of say let's get him on the floor let's you know let's get this guy on the floor when maybe we feel like he's not gonna be overexposed or when that player's not on the floor Mm -hmm. or you know that sort of thing I think there's a little bit more trust there now I think it's a little bit more of kind of Archie Miller maybe turning around to his bench and saying we need a spark we need some energy somebody's not doing their job somebody's not performing I don't think he's afraid to reach for a freshman and basically you know ask of him now rather than saying let's get him out there and see if we can't protect him and get him comfortable and get him some minutes it's we need to change something here we're going to christian lander we need to change something here we're going to trey galloway now it's it's worth pointing out we didn't really see any of the freshmen in in overtime much at all last night earlier in the game they did i think a a lot of their minutes first half kind of early kind of first first couple cycles of rotation second half Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're still seeing him go with, you know, the, the, the veterans he trusts kind of in those key moments late, which, you know, probably isn't terribly surprising. Right. But I do think you, you see more trust in, in some of these guys, Christian Lander being an obvious case to just sort of say, Hey, we need a little something different. We need a little something. We need a little bit of a spark. Right. I'm, I'm asking you to get it for me. I'm, I'm not looking to send you out there and protect you and, you know, try to make it easy for you and not expose you. I'm asking you to go out there and take some chances and make some things happen for us. Right. And the flip side of that is, you know, maybe that uh, this is one of those nebulous things that I think sports writers reach for a little bit too often sometimes, but maybe that sparks a little bit of something in, in a veteran, you know, last night, Al Durham, 24 points, Armand Franklin, 23 points, you know, maybe that, maybe that kind of jars the system a little bit for mm-hmm. a, a veteran who says, okay, you know, I need to be a little bit sharper or, or even a guy who maybe says, Hey, you know, Christian Lander, when the ball's in his hands, the offense just moves a little differently. Maybe that'll open up some different things for me. Maybe that'll open up some wrinkles that, that the opponent's not prepared for. I need to be on my toes for something different. All right. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I think if you're Indiana, if nothing else, and this, this sounds so basic, but in a year that has been so chopped up, you know, Indiana's not won or lost 
more than two games in a row yet this mm-hmm. season, and unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. Um, you know, just feeling like you've got a little bit of momentum, a little bit of sort of something that, you know, a little bit of a, a platform to stand on, especially here as you get ready for, you know, there's only four weeks left in the regular season. Um, you know, it's less than, I guess, right about four weeks. Um, I think, you know, you're happy with pretty much anything that you feel like is kind of a foothold, right? you know, to, to closing this schedule strong. Cause if they do that, I think this team is still very, very much in position to, to make the NCAA tournament. Right. Right. And, you know, as I'm watching the games and, and I'm, as a former player and as a, in the way I like to play and as a, and as a coach later on, you know, I always felt like Indiana was better when the tempo was 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 a little pushed a little bit, and I felt like Christian Lander does that. Now, obviously, everybody keeps oh, he don't play defense. He don't. He doesn't play defense. That's you know. I, at the end of the day, it's what you have help defense for. Like you just don't put guys on an island by themselves and expect them to stop the one of the top guards in the Big Ten. Like that's that's foolish. But um, you know, I felt like the kid really pushes the tempo and gets it going. And in the Iowa game, they were down. They were Iowa was having their way, and all of a sudden, it was like an 8-0 run where I saw push ahead threes, threes on a break. I saw a dunk. I saw a steal in a dunk, and I tweeted. I said, "Hey, that's how you have to play in spurts during the game. It's, it's not going to happen all game." But then again, I turned the game on last night, and it was like last few minutes like 54 to 52 and I'm just like come on <laughs> like we, we're not gonna you know compete consistently against you know the good teams that you have to beat in NCAA tournament scoring 54 points so you know I just I, I really think the tempo I think it's enough talent there I think there is a you know obviously the coaching staff is really good I, I believe Archie Miller is a really good coach basketball coach I think he has good assistance so they're always prepared but I really would like to see a little more action offensively, a little more, uh, you know, making making plays off your defense and scoring points off your defense instead of getting a steal and walking it up. And I, I think uh, Indiana will be better served, uh, you know, in the tournament or if they happen to get to the tournament in that realm. So that's kind of my observation of them and what it takes for them to be successful, what it, the adjustment that it takes to be successful. Um, and like you said, our race is playing well. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's really the most consistent guy uh, if you look at individuals, he's because what he does is bring energy, rebound, and, and score, uh, and defend at a high level. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm hoping that you know they this this turns the corner. There is some silver lining with it because I'm looking I'm looking at the future. I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, I think you're coming along. But does T does Trace Jackson Davis stay? If he doesn't, does that set Indiana back? Like, have you had thoughts about that? And what do you think about that? No, I, I mean, I think I think that's very fair. I think especially, you know, it, it, it feels very, I don't want to say all or nothing, but right. I think that the, the outcomes are are kind of, you know, on, on two extremes in the sense that if, obviously if he goes, Indiana loses its, its centerpiece player, you know, we'll see kind of where Joey Brunk is at the end of the season. Does he want to take the year back? Um, but even if you get Joy Brunk back, it's it's probably not the same impact you're getting from Trace Jackson Davis. Right. On the other hand, if he stays and you look at the complexion of the conference next season, Illinois is going to lose is likely to lose a lot. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin is going to lose a lot. I mean that that team is is largely seniors in terms of its mm-hmm. major contributors. 
Iowa's going to lose at least Garza and Bohannon in all likelihood. Again, everybody can get the year back if they want it, so we'll see. Right. Um, but at least right now, Iowa looks like losing Garza and Bohannon at very least. Rutgers should lose a fair bit. Minnesota's going to lose Marcus Carr. You know, you don't really know. It's kind of hard to forecast where Michigan State's going right now, you know, and, and there's just there's just a lot of kind of – Chaos isn't the right word, but there's right. just there's a lot that's broken that needs fixed up yeah. there. And you, of course, you imagine time as a will, but you still don't know what you can rely on. My point is, you start to kind of draw up if 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 the seniors that you think are going to leave and the NBA players you think are going to leave the you know the IO Desunmu types and maybe Kofi Coburn, um, you know, and you from that you start to draw up who are the favorites in the conference next year. Um, I think Ohio State is one. I think Purdue is one. Michigan could be, depending on how their roster kind of manages through the offseason. Um, if Trace Jackson Davis stays and Indiana doesn't suffer major attrition anywhere else in terms of transfers or whatever, Indiana becomes one. And, and you know, suddenly Indiana, you know, suddenly maybe there's – because it's always so much easier to kind of define the, the quote-unquote narrative, if you want to say, in hindsight – um, you know, listen, if, if Indiana, Indiana in theory right now has in this season has as many as eight games left on its schedule, we'll see if all eight get played, but let's say they do and Indiana wins six of eight, then, you know, we might wind up looking back at this, you know, this two game stretch one, you know, kind of nail biter win against Iowa, one uninspiring win, but a win nonetheless at Northwestern and say, yeah, but there were these marker points that said that Indiana was improving and was getting better and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of foretold a much better run to the end of the season, a much more sort of consistent run to the end of the season. I think that if, if Trace Jackson Davis comes back next year and Indiana is a genuine big, big 10 contender all season, whether they win the conference, maybe they finish second, maybe they, maybe they share a conference title, whatever, Well, then I think you look back at the, you know, maybe years three and four for Archie Miller and sort of say he was, you know, he's doing his best. Not everything was perfect, but he was also kind of fighting against a big 10 where the the ceiling was just depressed by how good the top of the conference was when he got his shot to move Indiana into that conversation. He took it and now look where they are. And this is one of those things where it's just, you know, it's always easier to say all this stuff after the fact and we just don't know what's going to happen. But Uh if, Trace Jackson Davis goes, I think that the, the loss, you know, and the hole that leaves would be obvious and right. probably very difficult to fill for Indiana. If Trace Jackson Davis stays, I think there's a world where Indiana is one of the favorites in the league next season. And I think he's probably favorite preseason favorite uh, player of the year, preseason player of the year. Right. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's been a while since Indiana's had kind of a stay or go decision that felt quite this pivotal to kind of where the program was going to go and the, the immediate aftermath of it, to be honest with you. And I know we're not quite there yet. It's only February 11th. And of course, if you asked, you know, Trace Jackson Davis right now, he'd tell you he's only focused on games and he probably is, you know, I mean, to, to a great degree, it's, it's like with recruiting. I, I don't think that, I think fans sometimes think that kids think about these decisions all the time that like in recruiting, a kid wakes up and thinks, where am I going to go to school? What's my top five? You know, who, who are my favorite coaches? Um, or with an NBA decision that literally every minute of every day, Trace Jackson Davis is just thinking, should I stay? Should I go? Right. The truth is, I think these kids are able to put those, those kinds of things on the back burner. I don't think he's that worried about it right now. Right. But obviously there's going to come a time where he has to figure it out. And, 
you know, his decision is going to have a massive impact on the outlook for Indiana into 2021, 2022, I guess. Absolutely. At OSU, Minnesota, Michigan State, at Rutgers, Michigan, and Purdue. Using your Joe Lenardi hat, does IU get in this year or or do you prefer not to, to make a, a choice right now? No, I mean, I, I would say that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it kind of goes back to a belief I've had for a while, which is just that fair or not, I don't think the – I think that the tournament is going to skew – in terms of at-large bids, really hard toward high majors this year okay. because mm-hmm. a lot of non-conference games got canceled. Um, a lot of, you know, a number of conferences, including I think the Missouri Valley, went conference only. And obviously they did that so that they could try and have a season and crown a champion and, and you know, give everybody just a, a basketball season. Right. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is I think you're going to have a lot of mid-majors that don't win their auto bid. Uh-huh. They get to selection Sunday and yeah, sure. Maybe they're better than, you know, a team on the bubble from the big 10 or the ACC, but the committee's going to have to look at, let's say Indiana, for example, and say, okay, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm making this up, but Drake, you've got seven more wins in Indiana, but like your best win isn't as good as six of their best, six of their wins, you know, right. and, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's maybe it's going to feel a little bit unfair to the mid majors. It is, but I think that the committee is also kind of going to tacitly have to say, you know, listen, an imperfect tournament field is better than no tournament field at all. And the teams that have gotten the opportunities to prove they can pick up these quality wins and, and, and beat other good teams are the high major conferences that were able to play in, you know, the, the big non-conference tournaments like, like Maui. Um, and obviously we're able to get a conference season in against tough competition. And so, I mean, it, it, you know, you're going to wind up in a situation where I think just a lot of your bubble teams, I think a, right. a few weeks, and this is a dated by about three weeks now, but um, I was watching, I, I didn't go to Iowa city um, for all the reasons you'd imagine with everything going on. And, Mm-hmm. Um, so I was watching that game from home a few weeks ago and there are 38 at large bids this year because the Ivy league isn't playing mm-hmm. and they flashed, I guess, you know, Fox sports most recent projection up 32 of the 36 at large bids were coming from one of the big six leagues, mm-hmm. leagues, the big wow. 10, big East, big 12, mm-hmm. ACC, SEC, Pac 12. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think it's going to be a year where the bubble, because those are the teams that have had the opportunities to get quality wins Mm-hmm. I think the bubble is going to skew hard toward those. And if that's the case, I'm going to be, I'd be really surprised if there are many, if any bubble teams that have two quality wins like Iowa and well, I guess Iowa and Iowa, <laughs> Iowa twice, right. Right. Um, right. Iowa and Bloomington and Iowa and Iowa city, you know, mm-hmm. sweeping that series, both home and road. I think Indiana's still got to take care of business. I think they still got to beat Minnesota. They probably at least got to beat Michigan State at home, if not at home and on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to – I think it would really, really help them to pick up one more quality win. You know, in, in NCAA terms, one more quad one win, which mm-hmm. would be Ohio State, Michigan, even Rutgers or Purdue on the road because right. that's on the road would be a quality win. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've got to find a way to get at least one, one of those – four, I guess, or five, if they wind up making that Michigan State game in the Ann Arbor up as well. 
but I think the, the, the big thing for Indiana is I just think they're going to carry more quality into Selection Sunday than a lot of bubble teams, especially if they can beat Minnesota, Michigan State, maybe grab one more. And obviously the record, you know, may or may not look inspiring, and that's going to be as much as anything a function of not playing all those empty calorie games in November and December that, you know, wind up, you know, taking you. Let's say Indiana finishes this season, you know, 14 and 13. Well, if they'd played those extra five non-conference games, they'd be 19 and 13, and I think that record would be a lot more uh, palatable. But I think that the, the biggest thing for me is they're just going to have – quality wins at a level unless they just absolutely crater here in the last three weeks of the season they're going to have quality wins at a level very few teams have and i think it's going to get them in right great great in-depth answer man once again house of hoosier podcast aj guyton with zach osterman and zach uh finally uh no it's been quiet over there so i know there's a two-year-old ready to explode at any moment <laughs> so we've gotten we've gotten away with one here but you know the archie miller um calls for him to, you know, some, by the fan base, you know, our fan base is unique in itself. They, you know, one, one, uh, last week and we go on to the national championship and we go double overtime with Northwestern. That ain't good enough. You know what I mean? So, but, you know, from your perspective, man, I have, you know, you know, I'm as former coach, I've never talked down on coaches. I don't want coaches to be fired and all that stuff. But from your, is it, from your standpoint in being as close to the team, do you see the do you see the, uh, the the trajectory trending upward for our for 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 Archie and what he's trying to build there? I see they got a new, another recruit and and a CJ Gun. I, I don't know anything about him, but six five Wayne that can obviously play play. He's being recruited by Indiana, but you know, are the calls for a new coach warranted by our fan base in your opinion? In your opinion, or do we continue to be patient and let Archie build? You know, I, I think there's there's been undeniable progress. I, I, I don't I would, you know, kind of reject the idea that, that there hasn't been any of that. I think Indiana's, you know, I mean, turning the ball over less often progressively over the last couple, three years than they have clearly getting better defensively. Uh-huh. Offense has obviously been more of a struggle. They are shooting the ball better, particularly from behind the three point line than they have really at any other point in, in Archie Miller's tenure. Um, you know, that's kind of counterbalanced by some struggle shooting the two, some struggles shooting at the free throw line, obviously. I do think this is kind of a big year because rightly or wrongly, you know, a, a, a big percentage of your, um, if you're a head coach anywhere, and this isn't just at Indiana, you know, a, a, a significant percentage of your job security comes from perception. And I think maybe the the biggest thing, because I do firmly believe Indiana would have made the tournament if there had been a tournament in 2020. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing Indiana lost or Archie Miller lost was maybe the opportunity to get into the tournament, maybe win a game and just sort of, you know, maybe win one more game in the Big Ten tournament, win one game in the NCAA tournament and just lend everything the feeling that that, that everything was kind of continuing to progress um, at the bottom line which is, you know, wins and losses. And I know it's cliche to say, but it's cliche because it's true. Mm -hmm. That's what matters. I think that this is kind of a year, especially if Indiana can get into the tournament where, you know, some, some of those perceptions begin to harden a little bit, maybe (laughs) positively or negatively. Sorry. Those are my, those are my dogs. We can get him on, get him on a podcast. (laughs) Two St. Bernard's at home. That's that's, that's what happens. Um, But it's, I think that this is a year where 
good or bad, those perceptions really start to harden. And that's why I think number one, from Archie's perspective, getting into the tournament is an imperative. And number two, not that he's got to go to the final four or anything like that, but, Mm -hmm. but I think a good showing in the tournament would, would really go a long way, especially in a year where you can kind of look back and say, listen, it was imperfect. Everybody was dealing with stuff away from basketball. You know, I I saw a great quote from another head coach and it's, it's escaping me now, but in a story, uh, excuse me, ESPN did talking to head coaches around the country and a ton of different conferences um, about just basically playing through the pandemic. And I forget who it was, but they said, they said, I'm everything you can imagine right now, except a basketball coach because of everything that's going on and all the shutdowns and just how broken up everything is and trying to help your players through all this, because obviously it's very difficult for them, not just physically at times, but emotionally and mentally. Um, I think that if, if Indiana could close this season out in the tournament, make some noise again, you know, show out well, then I think you, you really kind of lend that idea that things are moving in the right direction. If not, you know, it, it does just kind of become difficult to sort of say four years without an NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, Because listen, we can have a conversation about where Indiana basketball fits next to the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the North Carolinas, but uh, you know, being a consistent NCAA tournament participant, is not an unreasonable sort of baseline goal for a program like this. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where, again, that's probably rightly or wrongly part of what got Tom Green was, was just the, you yeah. know, the feeling that it was just always kind of right. up and down. And, you know, you can just, you can agree with that. You can disagree with that, but that was kind of the reasoning that was put forth when Indiana made that move, you know, this Archie Miller hadn't been up and down necessarily, at least not in terms of, you know, win loss record at the end of the season, but there has, you know, it, there still exists kind of this this idea that, you know, the season needs to end where it obviously needs to end. Otherwise, it's just kind of hard to to call it a success. And that's why I think, it's, you know, year four here, good or bad, those perceptions are going to start to harden for him. Right. And I think it's 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 on him a little bit to to make sure that, you know, that kind of skews in the right direction. Right, that's, a, that's great points as, as well as usual, man. And I know I said that was the final one, but I want to get your quick take on something. I talk and let me rewind that. The only thing I, I deem as kind of quote unquote unacceptable is the home the the, the, the losing streak at home versus Purdue. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think you can really argue that, but I think that uh, you know you can make it up with a win at Purdue coming up. You know what I mean? And and I think Archie will take care of that. But I do interview a lot of former players and, you know, off the air, on the air. The question is, is, you know, always raised or the conversation always raised over the years. Why do you believe since you've been, you know, we've been close for about 11, 12 years at IU. Um, why hasn't there ever been a, a former IU, specifically night player ever consider, I don't know if consider, but ever given an opportunity to leave that program? You know, I, I think there was a time when there would have been multiple candidates in that. And I, I, I would ask kind of a concurrent question in that, okay. which is, um, I, I guess it's not a question, more of a curiosity, I'll, you know, disregarding, not, not disregarding, but setting Steve Alford to one side. Mm-hmm. It has always seemed to me that of the, the sort of Bob Knight players and managers, it's worth saying, that went into coaching, the most successful ones wound up in the NBA rather right. than in college. Randy Whitman, yeah. Lawrence Frank, uh, Mike Woodson, Glenn mm-hmm. Grunwald. Um, and again, you've still got 
Steve Alford there. And you've also got successful assistants like Michael Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I've always just, and, and this is, you know, very much an outsider's opinion. I've, I've lived, I both grew up outside of Indiana and, and I think sometimes see things that way, but also mm-hmm. feel like I've lived here long enough to, to speak with a, a measure of, I don't authority is the wrong word, but at least a measure of, of kind of knowledge and, and institutional awareness. Um, my attitude has always been that Indiana needs to seek out the right person. Right. And if that person has Indiana ties, be it Bob Knight, or maybe they played it to Mike Davis or whoever, all the better, but find the right person first. You know, I mean, Bob Knight didn't have Indiana. I mean, he played at Ohio state, but he was the head coach at army. Um, he'd actually almost taken the Wisconsin job. Mm-hmm. I, I heard that a couple of years ago. I heard that story yeah. for the first time a couple of years ago. He'd almost taken the Wisconsin job a couple of seasons before he took the IU job. But, you know, he was in, and this was an IU program, remember, that had won a couple national titles by this point. You know, it, it had its own coaching legends, its own playing legends. Even when, even when Bob Knight took the job in 1971, you know, he took IU to a different level, certainly. Mm-hmm. But IU was still, by that point, I think widely regarded as one of the the better, if not one of the best, college basketball programs in the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in terms of its overall history. So I don't know if we, you know, if we could rewind to 1971, I don't know where we'd be having this conversation. It certainly wouldn't be on the internet. But, right. <laughs> um, but you know, would would they be asking similar questions? Well, who's this Bob Knight? He, he doesn't have any, any Indiana ties. He's not a former Branch McCracken player or whatever. I, I, I've just always felt that, from Indiana's perspective, I don't ever think that familiarity with the program is a minus somehow. I think it's I think it's a plus mm. in any coach's sort of you know resume for the job. But I think it I think you need to start by getting the right coach, mm-hmm. and then if that coach has experience, um, you know if that coach has IU ties or ties to Bob Knight or even again just ties to you know. I mean, you know, they don't have to even necessarily play under Bob Knight. I know people bring up Dane Fife sometimes. Dane played for Bob Knight. Dane played for Mike Davis. But I think that the the positive to hiring Dane Fife would be that Dane understands Indiana. Right. Um, And I think that's the bigger key. It's it's not just about you know which coach they played for. It's it's just simply are they going to understand the demands of this place. You know, the way that Bloomington could be a fishbowl sometimes. I mean, that you know, I don't, I don't think everybody's always ready for that. I think Jay right. Wright, I heard Jay Wright years ago say that one of the things he liked about Villanova was if he's good, everybody loves him. And if he's bad, nobody cares until after the Eagles season's over. Yeah, exactly. You know, so 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 different jobs fit people differently. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that I think Indiana's and, and listen, again, you can say, well, has Indiana hired the right coach? I think time only tells that. Right. Whether it was Tom Crean, whether it was Kelvin Sampson, whether it was Archie Miller. But I think you got to start by getting the right person in place. And then from there, I, I also the one thing I will say is I do think it, it helps. And I don't think you hire an assistant or a director of operations or, you know, mm-hmm. a former player in some kind of, you know, director of personnel role or something like that just to have them there. But I don't think it hurts to at least have players on your you know people on your staff. Right, I agree that, that, that can that can speak to that and and you know are not necessarily going to say oh well this is the way that we did it in 1991 or this right. is the way <laughs> we did it in 2005, but more again can kind of just speak to the just the little idiosyncrasies of the job that you don't know until you're in it. You know, mm-hmm. 
um, hey, you're you're always going to have to be prepared to do a booster event in Southern Indiana in early June. Right. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 down at Huber Winery. You're going to go down there. You're going to talk to the media for 15 minutes. You're going to get a bunch of questions from the Louisville TV stations about why you weren't playing Kentucky, and then you got to <laughs> speak to the fans. Right. You know, you you're when you go to church in Bloomington you know, half the people are going to stop and talk to you about basketball when you, you're going to want to live in this part of town because it's quieter over here than it is over here. You know, you know, I mean, even just stuff as basic as, you know, is your kid good at soccer? Well, let's find out which high school team is better at, is better at soccer and we'll get them in the, you know, it's just that stuff seems, I think sometimes, and forgive me, I'm getting long winded here, but I, I think it is interesting that part of the job, I think, sometimes gets a little bit overlooked by fans because they only think about what they see, and I understand that, and they only see what happens on game day. But, you know, what happens in your daily life affects your performance in your job, you know. And, and if, you know, if you're worried about where your kid's going to wind up going to school, then that's probably going to bleed into what you're doing on the court and practice or in games or whatever. If, you know, if, if my two-year-old kept me up until three o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm going to be exhausted the next day. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there, you know, sometimes it's, especially when I, when I'm talk about at least having people around the program that will understand the little, just the, the little details you got to know about Indiana specifically, I think it can make, it can just smooth yeah, a lot of those details out, right, right, and can allow that head coach, whoever it is, whether they played at IU, coached at IU, or or had never set foot in Bloomington before their interview, um, to just kind of be the best version of themselves in that job, right. So forgive me that that was an oh, incredibly sort of meandering answer, but it, it is it's you know it's it's it is a question that comes up around here a lot. And I think there are people that have passionate opinions of it. I think there are people that roll their eyes when they hear it. I think like everything else, the, 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 the value of it is somewhere in the middle. You know, I don't know that you, you know, it, it needs to be a sticking point or it needs to be something that fans just get into heated arguments over. On the other hand, I think it's probably more important than some people think because you know, that there aren't a ton of jobs quite like this one. Mm-hmm. where you're living in a town quite this small, the expectations are quite so high, you know, the, the, you know, the, re- the recruiting expectations are, are quite, I mean, even, you know, Kentucky's a good example. Kentucky, Lexington's a little bigger, but college town, similar expectations, you know, similar history on and on and on, but you don't have to recruit the state of Kentucky to make people at Kentucky happy. Right, exactly. You you don't you don't necessarily need to have the relationships with high school coaches in the state of Kentucky. And I don't want to speak completely out of turn because I don't know everything about all the and, and if we got on the Kentucky podcast, they could tell us about the, the dozen Kentucky specific details that you've got to right. be prepared to deal with that, that don't apply anywhere else. But my point is just having people that can at least sort of say, Hey, you know, be prepared for this and you'll be better off. Right. Um, here, here's here's how to handle this, and and it'll be fine, and it won't be right. a headache. That's yep. the one area where I think it will always be valuable for Indiana to have somebody with some institutional knowledge in the building, and, and just you know able to kind of lend a voice of experience. I, I agree totally, man. And you know, you're not long winded. You're just speaking facts, and I think that you found a middle ground there. And I think that's what, you know, if you can't find a guy that, you know, embodies all of that, 
and from as a, from the head coaching standpoint, then there there should be someone who embodies that within the the, the staff or the administration in some way. I know Mr. I know Scott Scott Dolson is a former IU guy. I know that, and but I always wondered, you know, you know, outside looking in, former players are, you know, they're silently silently critical most of the time. Most of the time, we talk to each other, and we just often wonder, hey man, is there like a uh, something? Uh, being said not to hire night guys or, you know, bring them aboard. Or I know I've, I've, I've uh, in, inquired about jobs in the past, you know, three or four times and only once with coach Miller and was never granted an interview. You know I mean? It was just like, Oh, you know, and, and I was in sports, I was in basketball. So, you know, since then I've, you know, moved on, you know, you get older and you just leave it alone, forget about it. But, you know, as we're talking on these podcasts, it keeps coming up. So I, I really believe that, you know, it's a, I look at it as when you, if your mother, you know, leaves you her house, you know what I mean? It's like, she's going to leave it with the most responsible kid. And the reason is because she knows he's going to take care of it. But if you're going, if you, if there's no one and you just put a stranger in there, first thing I think about is either making money off of it or bulldozing it. You know what I mean? And so, you know, you need somebody to help bridge that gap and, and help to, you know, stay in contact with the alums when they call, when they want tickets, when they want gear, uh, when they come to town, when they want to come see a practice. I mean, it's just to have that liaison there. To me, if I was in that situation, it would be something special to, to bring back one of those guys and allow them the opportunity to, to bridge that gap. And I don't know if Archie's thinking about that, but, you know, I think it's, it's always good a good PR move and it's also a good move uh you know for the players and the fans so you know so your 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 answer was not long-winded it was exactly what I wanted you know hope to hear uh, a little bit of both yeah at the end of the day so but hey man as usual my podcast usually I try to think 30 minutes but they always turn into an hour <laughs> because the, <laughs> the conversation man usually is really good man and uh, I appreciate you for stopping through and uh you know hopefully you know I can jump on your podcast we can talk about a little bit once indiana makes the ncaa tournament we could talk about seating we could talk about a lot of different things but man we appreciate you joining us zach no absolutely thanks for having me and yeah i mean it's it's crazy to think about but i mean there's three weeks left it's you know, a long it's, time. It's, it, it always the season always feels like a, a grind in january and then all of a sudden you hit february and it just feels like a sprint and yeah, it's for us at the star, it's going to be even more. So I, I just got my first look at my my schedule today. And obviously I'll go where Indiana goes until they lose if they make it. But then after that, I'm still going to be involved because the, <laughs> right. the whole dang thing's going to be in Indianapolis. So I, I, I think it's literally going to be like three straight weeks of basketball. Bring it on. That's absolutely. Well, I'm going to be there. I'm going to roll through there with my mask on and everything. We can connect, man, to, to just chop it up, man. We appreciate you and everything you're doing one of the best out there zach osterman man is doing i'm, I'm saying the german one zach osterman <laughs> is, is doing a great job uh covering our our beloved hoosiers man so thank you need from us let us know ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us we'll talk to you next time peace mm-hmm.